0: Story. Tell me your worries. I know that everything will be just fine. Catch you when you fall. Be there when you call. It's never too much. I got you real tall. Namahinui Kia Koto. I'm Tanya Ka, and you're listening to the Real Talk podcast. Here at Real Talk, we create space for authenticity awareness and making a positive impact on the world around us. Real talk, real people, real stories. Ngā kya ki a mai hoki mai ki Real Talk. I'm Tania Ka and today in this episode you're going to hear the incredibly brave story of Constance Reddy. Constance took the stage at both our Real Talk Mōngā Rangatahi events in Rotorua and in Ahuriri, Napier to share her experience with how connecting to the ngāhere and following the tohu of her tipuna she was able to bravely escape the cult of Gloria Vale. Here is a fakatoki that Constance shared with us on the night. He kākanoa noaho i ruia mai rangiātia. I am a seed born of greatness. I love this Toki, because it's a great reminder that we are born to be great. And it's our responsibility to ourselves and our and our tipuna to strive to be great in everything that we do. It's important to note that there are some triggering subjects in this kōrero, so if you get triggered by this kōrero, there are some contact numbers listed in the show notes for you to utilise. Here is Constance's story.
1: Kia ora whanau. Let's just check and see. Kia ora. <laughs> Where we are. Here we go. Uh, firstly, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has come here tonight. Thank you all for journeying. If you did journey from wherever you came from, a big thank you to our Real Talk co papa and in inviting me to come and be a part of this amazing space for our rangatahi. Ko Hikarangi te Maunga, ko te Awa, ko Tewaka, te Waka, ko Rahui tōku Korumarai, ko Hinerupi tōku Kuiamarai, ko Ngātiparau te Iwi, te whānau Greenahau, ko Constance tōku Ingawa. For those of you who may not know about my journey, I was born and raised in a religious cult, and it's more widely known as Glory Vale. Firstly, when I tell people about where I have come from, they always act really surprised and they say, well, you never would have guessed because you seem really normal. (laughs) And I really take that as a compliment because that really speaks to the journey that the last six years have been for me and how far I've come along that journey. I'm the baby in this photo and this is my eldest sister, Virginia. All stories start from the beginning. And to give you the full picture, we have to start at the beginning. We all start life the same way, as a child, and we all have a, that carefree innocence. We are authentically ourselves, and we're not yet conditioned to society's expectations. I'm the smallest one in this photo, these were some of my elder siblings at the time, not all of them, in there. That's me, the littlest one with the frizzy hair. As a child, we are sheltered from the gravity of the world, and in contrast to it, our eyes are so bright with hope for the future. As I was born and became a child and didn't really realise the environment that I was born into and was being raised and it was only as I began to get older and I noticed the environment shifting and the things changing around me I really tried to cling on to a familiar space something to me that felt home and, and normal and natural and this was the nahiri for me as young as seven, I would randomly disappear into the Nahiri and I would wander for hours in there, listening to the bubbling of the, the streams, the corridor of the manu, and for me it was a really safe space and I was really desperate to, to cling onto that space as I felt the environment around me shifting. I felt home, I felt safe, and it was only many years later that I understood why the Nahiri for me felt so safe and felt so home. By the time I was 15, I was completely submerged into the cult life and practices. My average mornings began between 5 and 6 a.m. I was either doing kitchen, laundry or cleaning duties and then after that I would attend a full day of school and then back into communal duties afterwards. I had no idea what free time was or actually how to relax and do nothing on the rare occasions that I had free time. Being a woman in this cult was nothing but a curse. You were indoctrinated into the system from birth and from, young, from as young as six. You would begin with small responsibilities like preparing the dining hall tables for dinner or helping peel 100 onions for the next meal. Six was also the age that you began to wear a head covering. Breakfast and dinner are communal meals and they are held in a main hall with everyone. We would sit and listen to biblical teachings at every meal and the Bible was only open to exclusive leadership interpretation. Women were not allowed to speak on such matters, disagree or even voice their own opinion. It was really bad to have an opinion as a woman. Those seen to do these things, to raise questions, were perceived as ungodly sinners and in need of repentance and that they were unwilling to submit to the leadership. This is um, me in the middle my younger brother David and my younger sister Joyful David has now thankfully left the cult and he's not a part of that, he's raising his own beautiful Fano down in the South Island, but unfortunately, my beautiful sister Joyful is still trapped there. As a young woman, I was very aware of the expectations on me and how I would be perceived, as well as the characteristics I was supposed to portray to prove that I indeed was a godly woman. I was being trained, and not subtly at all, that my place was to work hard without complaint, go, do, and be wherever I was told to fully submit myself to the law of the leadership and that one day I would be rewarded with a husband whom I would obey without question and whose children I would carry and birth as many as God would bless us with since all and every form of birth control was strictly prohibited on pain of hellfire for murder. This is all my life was. This is all I thought it would be. This is all I could hope for. Gloria Vale, in essence, teaches that the church is above all, even family units, meaning that if a family member chose to leave, all ties would be cut, all pictures destroyed, and no memory ever spoken of again. Communal holding of all money, so no one has or is allowed their own personal pūtia. Women are to be dressed modestly, cover their heads as a sign of submission to the men and elders. There's no such thing as mental health issues. You are just told to pray and have faith and maybe fast if this persists. There's no salvation without baptism. There's no sex before marriage. Although if you, as a woman, are sexually assaulted, abused or raped, you will be blamed. We are taught that men have these just natural desires and they can't control them. But a woman can. So if anything happens... It must have been the woman's fault. She must have been flirting or encouraging sexual advances. There's also no smoking, coffee or alcohol, not even tea. No alcohol, but we did make our own home brew, which seems hilarious to me, because that's that's alcohol. (laughs) But it was supposed to be non-alcoholic, but I know for anyone here who's tasted home brew, (laughs) that stuff's Potent as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) This male authoritarian culture breeds nothing but harm. And being young, pretty and brown, only black marked me. My character was already decided for me. Because I was young, pretty and brown. As a loose, flirtatious girl, wanting to sleep with any man that looked at me. And this suited them well. Because if I did reach out for help... I was immediately silenced and publicly shamed. As everyone already knew that this is the type of girl I was, I've experienced stalking, sexual assault, sexual harassment, and abuse all within a culture claiming Christianity. Not even my parents being able to protect me from environments that I expressed how unsafe they made me feel. Constantly afraid, while forced to appear happy, struggling with the weight of suppressed emotions thoughts of unaliving myself with me always but terrified of the hellfires I'd been taught would await such an action I wanted so many things to change so many things to be different yet I was powerless to do anything and you will have to excuse this part because I most definitely will cry this is my beautiful little sister on the left, our little karakia. It was within this warped, twisted system that my beautiful baby sister, the Portakia of our whanau, was born. Prayer she was named, as truly she was a karakia come to life. She was all joy and light. And her passing was the catalyst that eventually led to my own escape. My sister was born with Down syndrome, and was bullied from a very young age for her looks and the way she spoke due to her hearing impediment. She was denied medical attention, she was denied specialist teaching, and was all but thrown aside by my society as an uncomfortable burden. This is my mama with her shortly before her passing. She passed away tragically choking to death in a room where the pin for the door handles had been removed by an elder and the precious minutes lost as emergency help tried to scramble in through a window. Her funeral was attended by all 500 plus members and Alfano was denied the opportunity to grieve her in our way. No beautiful he was held, no emotions other than happiness at her being in heaven expressed, all of it grinding away at my heart threatening to explode. And this is when I began to question everything. I began to question why God would allow such an innocent life to be taken so soon. Why would the leadership prohibit us as a whanau from grieving the loss of our sister? Why did they all pretend she was so loved and valued when she'd been treated as nothing but less than And why did I why did I remain loyal to a system that had shown her such disrespect? Why had I done not done more to protect her and give her the quality of life that she deserved? Emotions waging war within me, questions filling my mind unanswered, I returned to the one place I felt solace The Nahiri climbing through the trees to a hill where I could feel the breath of the wind. I screamed out to God to make it all better, to make me fit in, to make me feel happy again, to feel safe and wanted and loved and protected. I cried out to the God I'd been taught to call out to, but I heard nothing from him. And yet standing amongst those trees and feeling the wind around me, I felt connected to something that I didn't understand. As though nature around me understood my pain, saw my tears, held space with me, made me feel as though what I was experiencing was not at all something I should be ashamed to express. And it was as though the voices I'd kept silent inside me I finally heard the voices I know now to be those of my tipuna, who had always been with me, saying, we stand with you, and your pain is our pain. We see you, we hear you. Be bold and have courage, for you have been through so much, but you will go through much more. And so late one night, after an emotionally draining meeting with several of the elders, of which there had been many in the year following my sister's passing, all with the aim to convince me to move on, to forgive those responsible for their negligence in regards to the door handle pin. Undoubtedly, I'd get very upset. I loved my sister, and I missed her terribly. I blamed myself for not doing more, and I was appalled at their lack of accountability. Their smirking faces taunting me with, no need to get carried away like a Māori woman. That was it for me, it broke, it broke something inside me and for the first time in my existence, after years of racial insults and abuse I stood up to them, stood up to these men instead of remaining quiet and calm "'What do you want me to do?' I shouted at them "'Even if you drain the blood from my body, it would not make me less Māori "'a term I did not even understand in its fullness, only that it made me different and less.' I knew that one moment more in this place was no longer an option. All trust and respect gone for these men. I knew now that if I continued to wear this mask, I too would become it. My plan was simple enough. I would steal a bicycle and cycle to the nearest farm 20 k or so further up the valley to a farmer I knew had helped other people. My immediate thoughts went to my mama and how worried she would be in the morning when I was nowhere to be found. I took my plan to my best friend at the time, asking her that she pass on to my mum the knowledge of my whereabouts, and it was her idea that we try and find a car to steal instead, since she'd been allowed to learn to drive something I did not know myself. Keys for all community vehicles, though, are all collected each night and locked away in an office, so I was not very hopeful there would be one we could use, But we were in luck that night, as the founding elder's car was personally owned by him and the keys not removed. Aye, we stole his car, and we managed to make it past the nightly gate watch all the way to safety. To conceal my whereabouts and her involvement in my escape, my friend returned with the car. But relieved and excited and anxious, hardly sleeping that night, knowing that my path was forever changed. The next six months were a process of getting things necessary to live in this outside world. ID, bank accounts, closing my community, one that I'd never had access to, and opening one that I had full access to. Moving to the North Island to live with one of my mum's sisters, who I'd met at my sister's passing. Finally getting my learner's licence, which was a big whoop for me. But amongst all the new and the excitement and the change, I was deeply grieving the loss of my family and friends and the familiarity of the world I had known. I'd grown up sharing a room with all my siblings and parents and was now all alone in one, sitting alone in darkness and crying. I was living with whānau now, but I didn't know them, and sadly, because of everything I'd previously lived through, I didn't trust them. I knew how much it hurt them to see this and I know they genuinely loved and cared for me. I just didn't know what to do, and I felt so lost. It was at this time that I met the father of my children, a tall, brown Samoan and his large family who were very devoted to their church. It was such a familiar feeling. I knew how to act in this large family, churchy environment. I knew how to fit in, and it reminded me of all that I was grieving the loss of, and I unknowingly stepped right back into a parallel existence of the one I had just left. Over the next two years, I had married that tall brown someone and welcomed two precious souls into this world. I attended church every week and was a part of the band and also a Sunday school teacher, the perfect church wifey. The mask I'd vowed never to wear again, I had once again found a place across my face. In the toxic, abusive environment I promised I'd never bring children into, I was now raising my own. Again, I was loyal to relationships and to an environment that were holding me back and that were hurting me emotionally, mentally and spiritually, none of which I believe were intentional, nor do I blame anyone. These were things I was allowing. These were things I was responsible for changing These are my two beautiful little boys, Ronan and Remaliah. My biggest reason for healing, my biggest reason for creating change, my biggest reason for moving forward and creating something better for them. So what starts the change? What moment takes place when your mind just clicks? For me, it was taking radical responsibility for my life. I was allowing myself to be disrespected in this way. I was allowing my voice to be silenced, but no more. I realised that I needed to be the change I wanted to see, that I alone was responsible for my happiness and for my healing, and only I could decide how best to do that. I made the decision, and not an easy one, to separate from my husband, who at the time was in Samoa, stranded due to COVID, which made the decision even harder. I'd been financially supporting him for almost, almost a year, on top of my own bills, rent, and full-time care of our two boys, aged one and five months old at the time. With very little support and no financial support, the toll had become too high for me to continue to pay. It was now time to focus on myself, to give back what I gave so readily to others, my time and my energy, Because yes, I had been shaped by the things I had experienced but they did not define me. They did not define who I was or what I was capable of becoming. I am so much more than my pain and the only way I saw for me to grow and become the person that I wanted to be was to take off all the masks, to peel back all the protective layers, to bravely face that woman in the mirror and acknowledge her, forgive her, Love her, thank her, for she had carried me through so much, and it was now time for her to transform. I began a journey home to myself, to the true me, the authentic me, unashamed to be myself in every way. I accepted myself for all I was and all I was not, and I stopped feeling responsible for others' perceptions of me. I began to live instead of survive. I dug into my culture, our culture, reclaiming that space, started using reo kupu in my fuddy. began connecting with my whānau, discovering my whakapapa and roots. I journeyed home for the first time to the east coast and stood on my Fenua. was welcomed onto my marais, and as the voices of my Tipuna called out to me, welcoming me home, they said you are finally here. I felt their Modi and their wairua surround me and it struck a match that ignited a fire in my belly. I knew where I belonged. I knew that I walked in the strength of those who had gone before me, who I now realised had always been with me, and it all made sense why the nahiri was my solace and in the arms of Tāfari matea I'd felt safe enough to express it all. This hikoi I hope will never be over. I hope there will always be more to heal. This is my beautiful nana. This was celebrating her 90th last year. More to learn, more ways to grow, more of myself to uncover. And it does not happen in a day, a month, or even a year. It takes constant commitment to change, growth and healing, as well as compassion and love, that we are only human and we won't always have it all together mai, I can never be lost. I am a seed sown in the heavens. It doesn't matter where we've come from or what we've experienced in this life. We are still all that our tipuna dreamed of. Thank you.
0: real talk could be coming to a town near you so check out the real talk website www.realtalknz.co.nz or follow us on our instagram at real underscore talk underscore nz to find out where we'll be next i got you real talk